Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you, Yola Tango. As always, I am joined today with my good friend, Oscar-winning director, filmmaker, producer, extraordinaire, Morgan Neville, and my partner in crime, Chris Ying. What are we going to talk about, Chris? Well, I mean, we got a little show coming out, so we should probably talk about that. Well, this show is probably going to be useless to you if you're not a Hulu subscriber. So just sign up for Hulu if you're not a Hulu subscriber. Press pause right now. uh, Go sign up for Hulu. And the name of the show is? Next Thing You Eat. (laughs) Good, good. There's other things to watch on Hulu, but clearly we're the best thing on Hulu, I think. think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hulu has live sports and and big Asian boys. That's their new tagline. (laughs) And... We're going to talk a little bit about music, something that I know Morgan probably would like to never talk about all the time because he is asked music stuff a lot. And he's got amazing things out there right now. Um, I'd love to talk about music, Dave, though. Yeah, you yeah, do love talking about it. I do. But he's pretty much covered all the cool musicians out there. I mean, <laughs> really. And now, now he's stuck in the food world with us. So, Chris... <laughs> I mean, we're no Keith Richards, but uh, I think we're going to have to do. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so let's start talking about the show a little bit. It's called The Next Thing You Eat. We've worked with Morgan, obviously, on uh, Ugly Delicious and Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. And then, Morgan, why don't you, do you want to talk a little bit about like how this particular show came about? Like We, we hatched this and sold it and made it with, <laughs> all in a pandemic. How did, can, you, can you talk about that? I mean, I think it happened in a way because of the pandemic. Dave and I were just talking about this, that it was like, you know, week one of the pandemic and the world was falling apart and particularly for restaurants and there being, you know, the canary in the coal mine of everything. And it was one of these moments too, where, you know, Dave has always been kind of a chicken little and and even chicken little's right sometimes. (laughs) And this was one of those moments where you're like, yeah, I think this is actually going to be not a, an evolutionary moment, but a revolutionary moment in food and restaurants. And we didn't even know what the hell we were going to do, but we said, well, let's just start documenting this moment. So all of us started interviewing people, you know, through Zoom, because none of us could leave our houses and started um, uh, talking to people, you know, restaurateurs, chefs, 
you know, all of us were doing interviews and we're talking to each other and you guys are doing the podcast at the same time. And I think we ended up doing like 70 interviews over a period of time. Yeah. And that's before we had even really figured out what the show was going to be. And at the time, you know, we didn't know where any of this was going and if there would be restaurants anymore in the future. And I think as everybody started to get a grip on things and the world started to settle a little bit, we started to say, well, maybe it's not just this moment we're in now and what's going to happen in the next year, but this is basically basically accelerating everything that was going to happen anyway over a period of one, five, 10 years. So let's look at the long term, you know, and, and that's something you guys have always been so good at talking about and thinking about. And so the show became a show about the future of food, you know, and I think different episodes have different time horizons, you know, certain episodes, like we do a restaurants episode, which is really kind of rooted in the moment we've been in for the past two years. And the last episode is 2050 is kind of the furthest time horizon. You know, it's saying 30 years from now, what is food going to look like and how are we going to consume it? How are we going to grow it or get it from a lab, you know, or a robot or, you know, what? And so that became kind of the challenge. And it actually turned out to be incredibly fertile ground to get into. How much do you guys remember? I mean, so we've got six episodes covering burgers, sushi, restaurants, delivery, 2050. And what did I say? Did I miss one? <laughs> one more very important topic. Is that burgers delivery? <laughs> breakfast, 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 breakfast. How much do you guys remember about like that deliberation? We were trying to figure out like, what are all of the angles that we need to cover when it comes to the future of food? What's the most pertinent to the future of food? Dave, do you remember any of that? Morgan, you remember how we decided on those? I don't remember really anything. <laughs> <laughs> it all blurred into one giant conversation and one giant topic. I think the greatest challenge was to find ways to do episodes where they didn't bleed into each other. And I think the most importantly, didn't feel like you were listening to an Elliot Smith album. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I love Elliot Smith, but I don't want to listen to it all the time. And, yeah. and, and, and I think uh, it's something that we deliberated not too long, but enough to realize, wait, if we talk about what seemed like the end of the world forever, like, Nobody's going to want to watch it because everyone's living it already. We don't have to remind people that, oh, things are totally fucked. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, to me, everything sort of bled into one another. And we needed, I needed to at least mentally figure out how you could become or be optimistic. And, and that's, to me, uh, how it all started, right? And it was trying to find moments where there was a lot of work being done in these specific fields by industrious individuals to figure out if there was a better way or people doing the good work. And I think that's how we figured out the the scope uh, of each episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what I remember is you know, a lot of it is usually just conversation and particularly kind of you, Chris, and certainly Dave, just like talking about issues. And then I think those of us working on the show was just thinking about, okay, well, how do we turn these things into episodes and there were certain things that we've talked about for a long time. I mean, sushi is something we've been talking about since I met you, Dave, you know, and I about doing something about it, you know, and and that became a in whole fact, way of Morgan, talking I, about I, it. Yeah. 
I still think we do a doc. We should work on a documentary on sushi, like a, a big old, big old two hours. He's not doc. satisfied. He's not satisfied, no. Morgan. <laughs> the itch isn't scratched yet. I think Dave just wants an excuse to hang out in Japan for a long time. <laughs> I think 100%. <laughs> which, which just brings up another thing, by the way, which like I, I, I feel really proud of what this show turned out to be and how not COVID y it feels. It doesn't feel like we made this with our both hands tied behind her back, even though we did and our legs and blindfolded in a lot of ways. I, I think we we didn't do the thing we did on Ugly Delicious, which was Dave gets to go to Japan. Dave eats at all the restaurants. And that presented like a lot of like, kind of interesting challenges for us to like tell a story about sushi when it was physically impossible for us to go there. Totally. I mean, it's not as much of a travel show, you know, and I think we did film in other countries, but some of that stuff... You know, we worked remotely with crews and we were directing from our couches, but, you know, we did shoots in, you know, India and Australia and Japan and all over Europe, but none of us actually went there. But, and again, but this show is less about the travel aspect and much more about the ideas, you know, the technology and the kind of, and those things are happening all over. Fortunately, a lot of them are happening not too far from us, you know. You know, yeah. we did a lot of shooting in the Bay Area and uh, West Coast, Los Angeles and New York, and we were able to do it. But, you know, this was us all learning in real time how to make a TV show and in COVID and not make it feel like it. In some ways, though, Morgan, like making this show was like a like a yearbook of, of the pandemic <laughs> in, in so many ways. Um, figuring out how the hell it was going to be done remotely, which was so hard. A lot of these interviews were just, I felt impossible to do remotely. And then vaccines happen. And then there was a period where you could do stuff in person. And like, it felt like hope was around the corner in terms of getting back to some kind of normalcy. And then Delta happened. And then like, <laughs> it just was so crazy. And when I see these, um, these episodes, I'm just reminded of Honestly, less about the content because like we were living and breathing it and more about how it was made more than any other thing we've ever made together because it was so actually difficult to do, in my opinion, to just do yeah. it remotely was, I, I hope people appreciate any TV that's made during the pandemic, not just this show, anything is so much fucking harder to make. <laughs> well, yeah. I... I I think you're totally right. We should talk. So we, what we should do is like, we should talk about a specific episode and, and get into some of those sort of like why, like the, I think people would like to hear like the behind the scenes and how this stuff came together. And uh, we talked about 2050 as the episode that sort of um, caps off a lot of the ideas brought up throughout the series, right, Morgan? It's kind of like, what does the, what with all these things going on, what will food look like in 2050? The, the very opening scene of that episode is like, this wild set piece that I was not there for the filming of actually between Dave and our friends, Eddie Huang and Dave Cho. Can you, can you guys, I wasn't there at all. I didn't see what the that fuck was happening until I saw this footage come back. That is just so bonkers. Can you talk a little bit about how that scene was shot and, and how you guys approach that? I mean, we shot on this crazy green screen soundstage where they basically have all these settings. They're three-dimensional settings. It's like you're walking into a video game. And in real time, they have the composite. You can see on monitors what it all is looking like. And as the cameras move, the backgrounds move. And and I remember when we first got it going that that Eddie and Dave were like, oh, 
we never have to travel anywhere anymore. We could just <laughs> we could just stand on this stage and you know be all over the world. And there was an element of that where you're like, oh my god, this is crazy. And and why it works so well for that episode is I think the big theme of that episode is you know the future utopia or dystopia. You know, I think that's always the kinds of the ways we, through movies and fiction, have thought about the future. And what's interesting is is Dave's take is exactly in the middle, which is no, <laughs> it's it's banal. <laughs> yeah, it was the the non exciting take, but we're living the future, and it's not like I just think that we hope that it's going to be like Star Wars or Star Trek or the Jetsons, but. It's going to be like 1999. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so this scene is like sort of an homage to that. Like it's very recognizable instantly. It's like, oh, this is a cinematic future. It's like a post-apocalyptic world where Dave and Eddie are wandering the streets of future well, LA. Well, can I can I just suggest something? Not suggest, but just be honest. Never in my wildest imaginations did I ever think that Morgan and his team would be like, yeah, we can actually pull this off. When they were like, deliberating this idea. I was like, good fucking luck in COVID. Can this fucking happen? Thank God. We, we, we don't have to do anything because like there's going to be no bullshit. No, nothing. Because I hate acting. I hate doing anything that isn't exactly what we normally do. And I just privately was like, God, yes, we don't have to do anything extracurricular. It's going to not happen. There's just no way that they're going to pull this shit off. You mean this crazy scene? Like you were, you didn't yeah, think like they would this make crazy, this, scene this type of stuff, right? Like right. The, the stuff that actually makes it a different and unique show that I'm always bitching and moaning when we're shooting it. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we did that. Like now I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we did that. <laughs> well, I, you know? I, I will say, you know, because we talked about a bunch of ideas. We're like, oh, is there any way we can get Dave into like, you know, a green suit with ping pong balls taped to it? <laughs> you know, we knew that wasn't going to happen. But then another thing we talked about was, getting like a real Hollywood makeup person and making Dave, you mm-hmm. know, 80 years old. And Dave was not having that idea. Yeah, a, fear, a, a fear that I was unaware of uh, emerged when we suggested he wear all this prosthesis and makeup. Dave Dave was uh, I can't do scared it. of this. It's I don't know if it's claustrophobia. There's no way I'd be able to do that. I would freak <laughs> out. I'm... I need to have air conditioning on me all the time. Like, I every time I see these movies where people have to go to hours and hours of makeup, I'm not really that impressed with like six hours of putting the makeup. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm more impressed with how the hell have they not lost their mind in the heat? (laughs) And I didn't want to have all this prosthetics on my face only to rip it off right when it was applied. So that's why I was like, we can't do this. There's no way they can do this. I was going to freak out. So in this opening scene... Dave talk just just said he hates acting and everything. I think you do a pretty pretty damn good job of not uh, completely breaking when you are walking through this green screen scene and then come across street vendor Dave Cho, who's wearing like who is wearing very elaborate makeup and is pretending to be a future food vendor who sells bug burgers and algae things. Uh, how much direction did you guys give to Cho in this scene? And like, what did you tell him to do? And Dave, there's like a wonderful scene of you looking at him where I'm looking at your face. And I'm like, Dave is going to lose it. Just looking at him. Like you kept it together. Well, I was actually excited that the dailies didn't make it to Hulu producers and executives. Cause they were like, we should just give Cho another TV show on our <laughs> network because he couldn't be stopped in his, he was basically auditioning for Hamlet in these <laughs> what was really truly like 15 20 minute takes and soliloquies just going off 
it really was these crazy long things. And so it was easy to, to act when someone was so over the top. And Cho brought his own costumes, his own outfits. The, he the made them. You know, no, he wait, made wait, wait. He brought, he came, like, that wasn't us. That was his makeup. No, that's costume. like what he probably wears at home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he was so ready. I was like, oh, my God. And I would almost say for, for about a week before we shot, he was like Daniel Day-Lewis method acting. He was getting ready. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't stay at home. He was, you know, like a vagrant. <laughs> and he, he really, if, if you see this episode, you're going to know that like Cho should win an Emmy. <laughs> and I will say he's undirectable. It's, I, none of us can take credit or blame. He's undirectable. So, so, no, it was easy to do, but I, I mean, I think to Morgan's credit, they were just like, hey, how do we make this as normal as possible? But, you know, what was really the next thing you eat or the future that still boggles my mind was the green screen technology. Yeah, what was that? Um, like and this work? is like a step below what Favreau has with the Mandalorian and what like the Marvel Universe has with all of their green screen stuff because it's fucking crazy. I mean, you could literally be anywhere now and shoot anything in a green screen. Like, I had never been on a green screen before. So, I think that is just mind-boggling. I cannot believe that it's so seamless. And I kept on looking at the screen while we were shooting. Like, how is that possible? I'm in front of a green screen. I don't understand the technology. It's so amazing. So, it's render Morgan, it's all rendering live on the monitor. You're seeing the background that they're it acting is. against. It That's is. Crazy. And it's all moving with the cameras because the cameras are all kind of geolocated precisely. It's crazy what they That's can amazing. do. Do we have, do you have like, can we get screenshots or photos of Dave and Eddie and Cho like just against the green? Can oh, we yeah. See? We should yeah. Put, so, we they, should they give you the see. layers separately too. So, you can composite it later and change things. Oh, it's amazing. Just put them in a tropical background instead. <laughs> uh, we have to post that for people. Um, so I guess another big part of this episode, like like we've been talking about, is like this was the one where we wanted to really dive into the most like sort of cinematic references, right? It's like Dave loves to talk about the Blade Runner noodle scene and Demolition Man and the world of only Taco Bell. And like Dave said, the Jetsons and all these things that sort of like informed our imaginations. But, um, you know, a bunch of those scenes are the ones that Dave has always talked about. But like, Morgan, what do you, if you think about like iconic cinematic depictions of the future. What what are the things that sort of come to mind immediately for you? I mean, for me, it starts with things like 2001, The Space Odyssey, you know, just mm-hmm. what they were able to do in, you know, 1968, you know, was incredible. And there's food in 2001. We had, I think we have a quick shot of, you know, the tray of the little food pellets. And, you know, and that's this really kind of beautiful, clean future. And of course, Blade Runner was like a film I just was obsessed with growing up too. So, I mean, I love all those kinds of visions of it. Um, But I also, like Logan's Run was a big one for me growing Mm -hmm. up for when Mm -hmm. it came out. And I think that was part of the fun of this episode is kind of being able to go back through all these movies and look at how they dealt with food. You know, we kept talking about, uh, you know, of course, Star Trek and how they could just... uh, create anything they wanted instantly. (laughs) (laughs) That was what we had. We had an editorial production meeting around this at one point. I don't, Morgan, were you there? I was, I was. That was like Dave's, Dave's request. You were asking for this day. If you're like, somebody must be working on like a real life version of that Star Trek, like food, (laughs) like a creator. You just push a button and we definitely all just were like, all right, let's try to find, let's Google where this 
thing is really being made, but we came up with nothing, Dave. That's no. why I saw I mean, it's basically show. like 3D printing food is about as close as you can get. Yeah. Sorry, Dave. That to me is the future, right? That is not ever going to happen in our lifetimes or multi- like 200 years from now is <laughs> if you watch Star Trek, I love Star Trek and, and the food replicator and I just don't see it happening. So that is the future that I think I would like to see. That's why I was like, if we can't get there, if we can't get into this next generation of how you could even think about food, like teleportation almost of food, then the only thing can be what we're already eating. And I think that is how Kubrick made 2001, where it's like, this is the most logical conclusion, right? What is the most feasible way of how people are going to eat? And that's why I say it's just going to be chicken fingers. It's going to be shit we already eat, but just maybe in a different form of how you eat it. So instead of ground beef from commodity, it's going to be ground something that tastes like a burger, right? Well, I think that was a big thing that we thought about, which is it's really more about where the ingredients coming for the stuff we eat, how is it being grown, manufactured, and how different is it from what we're having now? Is it synthetic? Is it bugs? You guys... I know, Dave, did you ever, I think you were the one who really didn't want to go down no, the bug no, alley. No, and, and I didn't, and and I have good reason. There are two things I hate, I really hate, is blood sausage, Korean blood sausage, and any kind of insect. And it's not because of cultural, I, I, I respect the cultures. I, I love Oaxacan cuisine. I, obviously, I love Korean cuisine. There's many cultures that eat insects. As a kid, I went to the mountains in Korea, and they serve like roasted insects, uh, I don't even remember the name of the bug, on sticks. And I was just like, I'm not eating it. My dad made me eat it, and I've never forgiven him for it. So <laughs> I am scarred from having to eat an insect. So I, I, I think I'm just being very honest about my aversion to it, and it's something I told Chris. I am not trying to say I don't love it. I wanted to make sure that we kept it in there so people know that it's, you know, like, Oh, yeah, I'm not going to bullshit and say, I love bugs. I'm going to say, if we have to eat bugs, I will eat bugs. But I don't want to. I'm not <laughs> trying to. You know, I'm never trying yeah. to eat crickets. I don't want to eat mealworms. Chris Ying does. I don't. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, sir. Chris Ying does not want. He's not, it's not on my, my wish list, but I did. I mean, I hear where you're coming from, though, Dave. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's sort of like in Ugly Delicious where you, you know, I, I think one of like the great things you did was leave in the scene of Dave trying to eat deer tendon with fuchsia in China <laughs> and just like spitting it out. But Dave took so much heat for that, right? Because it's like, oh, what's he's not a real foodie if he doesn't like no, balls and, and, and they tendons. thought I was being disrespectful. And you don't think I know that? These fucking assholes. Like, <laughs> we did that to show that like I have a lot to learn. And I don't want people to think, oh yeah, you can just eat this. I was like, it's not easy for me. My goal is... One day, I hope to appreciate it and love it and eat it. That's just what I think. And unfortunately, like crickets are not that different than a shrimp or a lot of crustaceans. But I know this. It's just a mental block. And I think it's okay to be that way. You know what? I have no idea. I have no idea where Morgan stands on bugs. You eat bugs? Where are you on uh, bugs? Not regularly, but I have. And when I've traveled to places where they eat bugs, I will eat them. I remember, Dave, you and I were in Cambodia together and I remember getting some bugs there. I can't remember. You probably avoided eating them then too, didn't you? I didn't eat the bugs. Yeah. Uh, but again, if we were in a house, if we were in someone's house and they served it to me and it was someone's home cooking, 100% I'm going to eat it and I'm going to eat it with a lot of gusto. 
right? But if it's elective, I'm not going to eat it. So when we did shoot at the, what, mealworm factory? The urban farm. The urban farm. The urban farm. Um, Chris got that. um, I pulled that assignment. Hosting assignment. And you seem like you were kind of enjoying it, Chris. I didn't mind it at all. I mean, I think when she says, I guess I don't have that same, uh, you know, I don't have the experience that Dave has of, of like being kind of traumatized as a kid around bugs and like, I don't know. I just, I think maybe like pandemic version of me is like, yeah, whatever. Put anything in your mouth. Maybe it'll kill you. And that's not so bad. (laughs) But like I put this mealworm in my mouth. My first impression was like, oh, she's right. It is nutty and it's fatty. But then like some additional thorax or sack in the mealworm like popped (laughs) as I was talking. (laughs) Like just mid-sentence. As I'm saying to her, like, this is really good. Like all of a sudden my mouth kind of filled with bug juice and I had to kind of stop and be like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not, not enjoying it. But the little surprise extra burst of the, the insect gusher was a little bit, uh, a little unexpected, a little much for me, but yeah. Um, she made a delicious thing though. She, she has like a really cool product and she's a graduate of La Cocina up here in, in San Francisco. And, um, she was like making this like tostada and she used like some of those like spicy pepitas with grasshoppers. And like, you know, I actually think that if his eyes were closed, Dave wouldn't, wouldn't object to that at all. No. And I, I again, like, I don't know how to articulate this. I, I, the last thing I want to do is besmirch Hawaiian cuisine or any cuisine that uses it. Like, I mean, I just don't, but I don't want to eat like silkworm larva. Either, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can ever articulate it, but again, I think like, you, it, I think you are, man. I think it's an important point that you're making is like, you can, you can, I mean, this is the whole point of like choice, right? You can have a preference without being, a, making a value statement about something, right? Like, this is the I'm whole just being thing. honest. Like, I don't want to bullshit and be like, yeah, I'm a chef. I love fucking tripe and, and fucking, <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to eat tripe anymore. I don't want to eat fucking haggis. <laughs> You know, like I'll appreciate it. I don't want to eat it. I think that that's the whole point, right? That's that's totally okay. But I, I think the thing we learned, though, is that stuff like bugs and algae are the things that are actually much easier and maybe better for the planet to grow than most of the stuff we eat now. Mm-hmm. And so there's a certain inevitability to some of that happening just because it has. Yeah, it has to. I mean, yeah. there, there's there's some things that like we could have made these these episodes ninety minutes, two hours each, and some things didn't make it. One of the things that we we couldn't do, and I, this is where I would eat bugs. I eat the things that eat the bugs, you know. <laughs> and and there's a bunch of there's a couple places that are creating just insect farms and flies and all these things to feed uh, poultry and things like that. Like that's how I think you you may do that instead of giving them, you know, corn and other grains that are going to potentially be harder and more damaging to the planet. Like I think insect farms are great. Mealworms mm-hmm. are great. If they feed a chicken that I'll eat later. Great. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to be, you, you want to have a little more separation on that food chain. Just yeah. a couple more links in that food chain. Uh, vegetarians are, vegetarians are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so th- there's like another, I guess there's like another side of this thing you're talking about, Morgan, like in, in like the future is banal and might just mean things we already have here are going to be more pronounced bugs and algae and things like that. But the other, the other thread that we tug on in the episode is like one of the, one of the early things Dave said, as we were sort of plotting out this episode and others was like, the future of food is Caribbean food. It's already here. It's like, if you want to talk about where flavors are going, 
it's Caribbean food, it's Southeast Asian food. It's these places where these flavors have jumbled up. And so like, you know, we sit down with Jonah Nolan and, and Lisa Joy and have laksa. And then we feature one of our favorite chefs in the world, Paul Carmichael, doing his thing down in Australia. Um, that was pretty amazing. I love seeing Paulie cook. Shout, shout out Paul Carmichael. It was also his birthday, I think, last month. So happy belated, my man. And when I say it's the food of the Caribbean, I'm not saying it's, a, yes, it's only the food of the Caribbean. It's any food where you're having this merger of different cultures and it's had time to sort of like marinate with each other and you get something completely new and delicious and it wasn't um, prescribed by marketing or some executive, or, you know, like that's how we got like ants on a fucking log, right? Um <laughs> Seriously, like a marketing firm said, this is what we're going to do. And it's not good because like some marketing firm says sugary cereal is what we're going to eat for breakfast. It just happens on its own. And I just think the food of the islands, where else are you going to get Chinese food, food from Africa, food of the indigenous population there is just, it's just fucking amazing. Indian food. And Malaysia is another place. And I'm, I think there's like a handful, like the food of Brazil is another, the Peru so the future food is here. And if we, so this is going to be a long way of me saying this, but again, I studied a lot of religion when I was in college. And one of the things that we would do with my favorite professor, Howard DeLong, is he would say like human culture changes, but how we process the world doesn't change, right? And the hardware. So we can't go back 5,000 years ago. We can't study how people spoke 2,000 years ago. We don't know those religions other than the artifacts they've been left behind. But if we study cults, if we study religions of 50 years ago, 75 years ago, you're going to find a pattern that allows you to get a better understanding of what happened 2,000, 5,000 years ago. And that's how I, I think I like to look at studying the future of the food of 2050 is if you study in our lifetime, these populations that have been merged together, oftentimes against their own will, and they've created a new cuisine that's going to give us a template of how things are going to taste in the future. I really firmly believe that. So that's why I want to study these things because I think it's the most fascinating part of food that is left to be undiscovered is the new. And that to me is the only thing that's left besides the creation of new, you know, mock meats and stuff like that. Yeah. Did that make any sense at all? I have no idea what the fuck I just said. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it reminds me there was this like, because that's what you said to us early on and that really struck me and I, and, and, <laughs> Morgan, you were great for entertaining this idea that we had, which I realize now in retrospect was like impossible to pull off and also probably possibly just going to get us canceled. But like, I remember thinking like, okay, Dave points to like, let's look at how things happened 50, 75, 100, 150 years ago to inform how this thing happens in the long run. And my dumb brain was like, well, what? Like, let's look forward and try to see how one of these like cultural mashups might happen in the future. So, like, let's look at let's look at the population trends and see like what what groups are immigrating where, and then like come up with oh, you know, there's a there's a lot of people from this country moving to this country. Like, let's see what that food might look like, <laughs> or like let's spin a wheel or have a computer like mash up two random cultures. And it became so clear so fast that there's like no non racist way to make this scene. But like, I, I I do think that says everything, right? Like you can't manufacture these collisions, right? There's a lot of like terrible turmoil and hurt and conflict that generally comes with these things in addition to like deliciousness. Yeah, but you know, that's fun to think about. I also think it's not very useful. And I think that's what I want 
and I know Morgan and you wanted this show to be, is useful in its pragmatic understanding of like the changing world, right? So to give you a better understanding of how to navigate a little bit better without having definitive, like, this is what it's going to be. It's just starting to ask questions. And, you know, like, I look at these givens, at least with the future of food, as will human beings stop, will they stop the consumption of sugar and sweet things? No. (laughs) No. You know what I mean? Like, will they hate salty foods? No. You know, like, there's, (laughs) there's certain things where you're going to be able to, like, will people hate the taste of a fresh squeezed orange juice? Fucking no. You know, it's like, <laughs> so these are givens and and that's what I mean. Like this chicken finger, the chicken nugget. Are we going to stop eating chicken nuggets when chickens aren't available? No. We're still going <laughs> to eat chicken nuggets. We're still going to find a way. Nature finds a way. <laughs> Nature's going to find a way. And it's, you know, it's, it's going to be some meat alternative. And the reality is, I think that was interesting for all of us to discover, was this idea of, how we eat today is exactly how we're going to eat in the future in the sense that rich people will probably eat the real organic shit, which is why it was so interesting to get Lisa Joy and Jonah Nolan on because in their show, Westworld, like there's a scene where someone says like, you, that's a real elephant? Holy shit. Like the, the super rich have the real bona fide non-imitation stuff and everyone else that can't afford it has the imitation stuff. And I think that's what's going to happen is all of this imitation stuff, all these mock meats, all of these alternatives will eventually trickle down and most people will be eating that and that will be their understanding of chicken nugget or whatever. And very, very few people will actually be eating the real fucking chicken nugget. And Mm -hmm. I think that's how you can extrapolate. I think that is actually how it's going to happen. And that's a good thing. You know, do we need fresh wild salmon to put into every sushi roll at a gas station? (laughs) No. You know, it's as you guys were talking about, you know, we, there's just too much consumption for any of this to make sense. And there's no appreciation commensurate with, with the amount of production needed. So, you know, why not? You know, like I'm kind of all for all these mock meats, lab grown meats, like bring it on. Like we need it. I'm just waiting. You know, the I remember, you know, the price right now to make one piece of salmon is it's like fifteen hundred bucks or something. So yeah. that was like a huge I mean, I remember standing in a hallway waiting to shoot a scene and Dave had just come back from tasting one of those sort of lab grown meats and like I remember Dave was Dave was shook. <laughs> you were like, oh shit. Like, what did you see when you had that first mock, like, lab meat? Yeah, we're at Upside. And, like, when I first read about lab-grown meat, which they now call cultivated meat, so it's not seen like it's a Frankenstein type of thing. So the marketing on it's already happening. Probably a good marketing move. I initially disregarded it. I was like, I don't want to fucking eat that. That's gross. I think that's the majority of people's reaction when they hear about it. But when you see it and then you understand the science and all they're doing is trying to replicate what happens on a natural level, right? It's no different than eating, you know, artificial orange juice. But what if artificial orange juice tasted exactly like fresh orange juice, right? Like these are sort of, let's say, metaphysical questions or something like that. But what shook me the most was once I saw it, once I tasted the chicken, I immediately was like, oh my God, I can start to ask questions that I could never even dawn on me that were even possible to ask. And immediately after eating this, I I, I was like, we're going to have to ask ourselves questions that are going to stump you. 
What do you do if you're a vegetarian? What do you do if you don't eat meat, not for green reasons, you do it because of ahimsa, nonviolent? You know, it's like you're going to have religions that are totally fucked. What do you do if you recreate pork and you practice the Islamic faith? Like, what do you fucking do? And these are questions that I don't know, but you're going to have to start to ask. And I think that's sort of what I want this show to be, too, is not that we know what the answer is, but start asking ourselves these questions, because I do believe these are inevitabilities. We have to adopt them because there's no fucking other way or people will die. That's just unfortunately the fact we don't have enough room on this planet to produce enough protein by the year 2050. That is like almost immutable law. So. Whether you like it or not, that's not the fucking question. We're going to have to adopt it. And if you are going to adopt it, how do we start to prepare ourselves to better mitigate the the insanity of it all? Well, that was like the big, that's like the the meta aspect of the whole thing, right, Dave? Because I think Morgan and, and the Tremola team kept coming with, whether it was like your visit to Upside or when you're talking to the robotics guy or whatever, there's so many moments in this show where we're shooting it and we're like, oh, this isn't eight, nine, 10 years away, like this is here. Like we, as the people making this show kept on being like, oh shit, we really need to think about yeah. this. Like it's happening and, now. Yeah. And absolutely. And I think every, if, while making it, I kept on questioning myself, like, oh my God, I'm, I'm always part of the problem and almost everything. I understand that. But I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm like legitimately part of the problem. And what if I want to adopt this? What if I get a robot because it will make things cheaper, but I want to, you know, like you start asking these questions. If I get these things, will it allow me to better provide X, Y, Z? So I don't know. I don't have the answer. But every time we saw what was around the corner with these entrepreneurs or these scientists, it was like, oh, fuck. You know, it's like <laughs> you got to reset what's possible again. And I don't have an answer for that. But it was definitely a real head scratcher along the way. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So like Morgan was saying, this is much less of a travel show than the stuff that we've done together before, you know, both because it's a different subject and because of COVID. But uh, let me ask you guys a dumb basic question. Can we all name the best thing we ate during the production of this show? Because we did get to eat some good stuff. You guys got highlights? Yeah, that's, a, that's so fucking easy for me. It was, well, you, uh, your, what was the best thing? 
there are three moments that we're all like, oh, fuck, this is why I love restaurants. It's when we were with uh, Chef Ken, we went to the boat and then we <sighs> ate sushi at his place, um, Sushi Hana in not uh, Rona Park, California, like a little strip mall in Sonoma County. Oh, and my that God. was the first meal I ever had indoors in like a year. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> oh my God. It was so, so delicious. And his son had just come back from Kikunoi for like a two-year stage. And I mean, I, I just remember that clam miso soup, which is very traditional. You finish, it was so spot on. And just to see that and just, I was so happy. And then to have Matt Horn's barbecue, fuck, like awesome. And the third one, while we ate a bunch of things, it was... Uh, Corey Lee's thing that uh, his Korean food that we're eating but to me the best of the best was when we went to Shuko in New York City mm. and that was outrageous that was simply one of the most outrageous meals and uh, to eat it with Wesley Morris was a real treat I mean I I wish I was there for the shoot for Shuko because it looked so incredibly good but the other thing I should just point out is that you guys get to eat most of the good food and <laughs> the rest of the crew watches you guys eat and then maybe if there's a little bit left we descend like locusts on whatever's <laughs> on the on the table the moment we yell cut so there's a lot of that a lot of um i oh, actually one one thing i did eat when we we're doing the um the test kitchen and we had the um the indian potato um Ooh. oh my god oh my the vadapav burger <laughs> Um, was so good. I burned my mouth so badly okay. and I didn't care. <laughs> it defies the laws of physics, right? Like nothing should be able to get that hot. It's so hot. Like it was, I, we all burned our mouths on that one. Um, the other one that I burned my mouth on that I, I think you did have a taste of too, Morgan, was when um, Courtney Storer came out and did pizza oh, with man. us and made yeah. her Italian beef pizza with like jardiniere on top and then like dip it in jus. Like, oh my God. And actually there were a lot of good moments. That was delicious. Courtney, God bless you. What an amazing <laughs> so, chef. You know, so Nick Kim, like, ah, oh man, I, I, I just miss eating all of these amazing, <laughs> yeah. amazing things. I just want to give a quick shout out because we always talk like it's just the three of us doing this, but there are so many people that yeah. help us do the show. And I particularly want to give a shout out to Danny Breen, Marielle Huey, and Dom uh, Musacchio, who were the people who also helped direct and produce the show, who did such an amazing job. So yeah, just want to make sure they get they get a little shout out. There. I mean, they were those three worked so hard, and just like like I said, they were they were on the really the receiving end of any time we just had like a wild hair. We're like, is it possible to just? teleport food and they would go like work so hard to try to find a food teleportation company and all this stuff like they're amazing <laughs> and the whole entire team all of the those guys the entire team Marielle oh my gosh Danny I remember shooting in Brooklyn and I was like oh my gosh we're shooting so long Danny's gonna miss his flight he, didn't, he, didn't, he kept on shooting <laughs> knowing he was gonna miss his flight and you know Dom yeah thank you guys um and one of you three, I think, is a CIA agent. That's I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> we all know who that is. We know who it is. Um, oh, great I also want great cover. Great cover. The, the last, the last food shout out before we do a hard left turn into into the next segment. Um, we had a very good time, Dave, eating at 
Marisco's Sushi Los Tomateros with, with Gustavo, the Sinaloan sushi. That was Ooh. the fucking best. <laughs> so good. Oh, my God. Oh, man. I, now that I think about it, I, I just we had so many great food memories. And it wasn't just because we weren't able to go to restaurants. It's just this is out there. And that restaurant, I was like, oh, that is the future. And that's what I mean. It, 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 in all of my despair about what the future is, sometimes you just have to get out of your sort of rut, leave your house, go 30 minutes south of where I lived and taste the future and it's right there. And I couldn't help but be hopeful that sushi is going to evolve and it's probably here. It's probably the future 100%. If I had to put money on this, it's going to be some hybrid mariscos and <laughs> sushi, you know, like it's, it's here and share out his restaurant. It's so delicious. And I don't know, that was why I was absolutely optimistic that good things are going to come out of all of this hardship and it's going to be tasty. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we got a new segment. We're going to, we're, we're subjecting Morgan to be our, our guinea pig on a new okay. segment. We're calling it a uh, dinner music. <laughs> I think and, he needs some new branding, maybe. <laughs> if uh, I can't even remember the fucking name, yeah, I might need a little stronger brand. But the reason being, like the, the idea being here, I, we want to talk to people who are are deeply knowledgeable about music, who are, have, like Dave said in the beginning, have their finger on the pulse of what's cool in music, who have good taste, and to uh, to help you cobble together your playlists for your your dinner parties and your your hangouts at home. And um, well, I want to hear two things. I want to hear about first, Morgan. I don't know if that our audience who who, who might know you through Ugly Delicious or, or BLD or, or this show quite know your the, the the depths of your 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 love for music and your interest in, in the work you've done in music so maybe just start there you like, talk a little bit about that so you know quick background you know I grew up like a music nerd like a lot of people and my dad is a music nerd and started taking me to concerts at way too young an age and I just totally loved it like I felt like hanging out in record stores with my dad was the thing. And I started playing in bands when I was 12, you know, and played in bands forever. You know, my wife and I played in a band together. But what was your band? I, what was your wife in your band? We were called the Acres. A C H, you know, R E S. Oh, sorry. A C R E S. Well, the Acres um, with the with the ache wordplay would have been good too. Yep. No, I mean both. <laughs> and it was kind of like a Carter family country band, but we do like Iggy Pop covers. Ooh. Is there so, tape of this? Dave, there is. We, there's a CD. I think it's, it might even be on Spotify. I don't know. I think wow. it is. Um, and so early on, I said, well, I'm probably never actually going to make a living as a musician, but I love music so much. Why don't I try and make documentaries about musicians and music? And so, you know, I started, I did a Muddy Waters documentary, and then I did a Hank Williams documentary, and then I did a Brian Wilson documentary, and then I did a Brill Building documentary, and God. a Lieber and Stoller, and then a Burt Backrack documentary, and then I did a this is, this uh, so wild. Rolling Stones, and then I did a Keith Richards doc, and I did 20 Feet from Stardom uh, in the middle, a backup <laughs> singer documentary. Yeah, That won, um, a, that won an Oscar. Won a, for, won a, yeah. little, a little obscure award called an Oscar. Yeah, yeah got that. And um, God, so many more. You know, I did a film with Yo-Yo Ma, you know, about his Silk Road project. I did, you know, I've I, just tons of different worlds of music, which is part of the fun of it, is like getting a chance to just explore different parts of music. But I'm also like a 
huge punk rock fan and all that, even though I've never really made a punk documentary and The Clash are my all-time favorite band. Mm. But the challenge you're talking about here, which is <laughs> dinner party music, it's a very specific thing because you're not really going to listen to punk rock music at dinner. Well, let's let, you me, can. let me let me stop you right there because I want to hear yeah. if Dave agrees with that. Dave, if you have people over at your house for dinner, punk rock off limits, what are you playing? I mean, if it's more like intro punk rock, you know, then yeah, I mean, because it's been so commercialized in commercials. <laughs> if you play the Ramones, people are like, yeah, this is great. I'm so familiar with Sheena is a punk. So that's fine. But and, I mean, Clash is technically punk, but yeah. I don't think, yeah. I mean, no buzz, circle jerks at the dinner no, party. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you got to play stuff that's more like buzzcocks and, and stuff like that, but you can't play punk. <laughs> it's just not going to work. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. I wonder if our listenership begs to differ, but okay. So before, I, so Morgan has very graciously arrived with a playlist, which we'll ask you about in a second here, but Dave, you have any other sort of, I want to hear some of your general thoughts on dinner music before we hear Morgan's list, because I don't want you backtracking, backpedaling, being like, oh yeah, yeah, Morgan's list. That's good. That's, that's, I totally love Sigur I think it's, 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 I don't know. For me, it's changed. We could talk more about it later at another date, but it's very different than restaurant music, which I've talked about a lot. What you play in restaurants, uh, I like music that is not familiar, but has a beat, a lot of, like Luna to me is the perfect restaurant music, right? A little bit like the Velvet Underground, not really, something like that. But at home, I think it's got to be something that is not nearly, I won't say alternative. This is more Van Morrison type of stuff or, <laughs> you know, you know, like if it's going, you know, that's, I just don't think I can, I've ever played anything like other than like Pet Sounds or Paul Simon and stuff like that. That's, that to me is what you play at home. I mean, as I was thinking about this, as we were putting it together, like what are the properties you want from music you would play at home at a dinner or dinner party, dinner music? And part of it is I feel like it's like having a great jukebox. Sometimes if you're in a place and there's a jukebox playing, like every song that comes on, you're like, oh, this just sounds great. Like, And it's kind of there that if you want to comment on it, you can. So I also feel like that's something I think about. It's like a song that there's maybe a bit of a story to it and you can either address it or acknowledge it or not, but it, it's something that there's something interesting about it in addition to it just creating this mood, but also something that can sit in a pocket enough that you can have a conversation over it too. Mm -hmm. So you, you do think it should be a little, you, you always go to like somebody's house. You're like, Hey, what is this song? And they're like, I don't fucking know. It's a Pandora channel. I just, I said Barney theme song and this is the Pandora channel for this thing but you want it to be a little bit more conscientious. Yeah, I just want there to be something there. I mean, if I'm putting it together, that if somebody wants to talk about any song, it's like there's probably a story about it in some way. Can I can I say there's one thing that's different? And, and we don't have a Sonos. We, we just, because we don't listen to that much music other than like say what's on Alexa. But if you go to a home and like there's a record player and they have a great vinyl collection, then it's different, I think. Mm -hmm. But you can't really make a mix on vinyl unless you're just playing the whole album. So I think that's another good thing. What are best whole albums to play when eating? Oh that yeah. That's a good one. We have to cover that one too. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got my vinyl, you know, and I, there's certain records I'd put on. I mean, I think, you know, when in doubt at a dinner party with vinyl, you're probably going to go 
you go to jazz. I mean, something, I didn't pick any of this here, but one of my favorite things is kind of organ jazz, like Hammond B3 organ jazz, Jimmy Smith or Brother Jack McDuff or, you know, that stuff just always creates a great mood, great kind of dinner party music. So that'd be my call for vinyl. Um. All right, Morgan, I think we need to get into this list, man. I think you got to okay. start giving us some tracks from this list. And I, I, I'm probably the least music knowledgeable of the three of us. So, Dave, you're going to have to comment on anything I have no idea about. So the first one, uh, No Easy Way Down by Dusty Springfield from the Dusty in Memphis album. Because there is no easy way down. Not only is that just one of the all-time great albums, but this is actually, I have proof that this is a great song for a dinner party because a friend of mine opened a restaurant years ago and because he knew I was obsessed with music, he's like, hey, would you pick out music for my restaurant? I picked out all kinds of different things. And he came back to me about a month later and he's like, yeah, some of that works great and some doesn't, but the one thing that kills is the Dusty in Memphis album. <laughs> he's like, "He's like, can you just give me more stuff like that? Like that album is just the best. Right. You know, so I would uh, recommend the whole album, but I love the song No Easy Way Down, which is a Carol King, Jerry Goffin song. You know, it's just a killer song. Second song is Computer Love by Kraftwerk. Ooh, <laughs> a little Kraftwerk in there. What I love, again, it's like, it's a seven minute, 19 second song. So it has that kind of like scope and that just has like a groove. And again, you may not even notice it in the beginning. Like you may, it may come in and it's great, but it just like sets a mood and it's long enough that it kind of like, it's a scene in a movie or something. You know, mm -hmm. it's just something about that song. I, I love that. I think all Kraftwerk and all of their spinoff bands are great dinner music. Really interesting. I always feel like a, I feel like a song that's seven minutes long is such a gamble because I'm like, sometimes I'll put one on and be like, this is not going well. People are not into this. You know what's a great, great, like 30 minute song is Chameleon by Herbie Hancock. Yeah. <laughs> 30 minutes, such a commitment. Uh, all right, Kraftwerk, number two. What do we got for three? You know, I had to put a Stone song on, which I put Moonlight Mile from Sticky Fingers. Kind of an acoustic stones track and it just has such a vibe to it i mean these are all songs that are like sonic soundscapes mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. that when they come on there's just like oh yeah i love this track you know you just want that i know to me it just makes you feel good when it comes on where are you on the stones for dinner music chain it's like a no-brainer <laughs> <laughs> all right what else we got I have Justin Towns Earl's cover of The Replacements' Can't Hardly Wait. There are a whole bunch of reasons for this. One of them is like, Can't Hardly Wait, I think it's just a perfect song. The Replacements are one of my all-time favorite bands. But Justin Towns Earl, who just died not that long ago, did this cover of it, which I hadn't heard till like a year or two ago, and I just couldn't stop listening to it. It's kind of an acoustic, more country-fied cover of it. 
So you both recognize the song, but you're like, but who is this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's awesome. I think like covers that you can recognize by artists you can't necessarily place is like exactly the kind of track you're talking about, Morgan, where someone's gonna be like, what, wait, what is this song again? Like that's, that's the most dinner party song ever. Yeah, I actually have a couple of those on this list. <laughs> I, I came up with way more songs than you asked for, but you know, one another one of those in that pocket is uh, Helpless, the Neil Young song. Mm, so but good. the Buffy St. Marie version of it, produced by Jack Nietzsche, is just awesome. Buffy St. What's who's Buffy St. Marie? Buffy St. Marie. She's a famous uh, Canadian chanteuse. Chanteuse. It's impossible. Is it possible for me to become a chanteuse? Never mind. <laughs> yes, it is impossible. <laughs> well, I don't know. All right, what's next? So I put this up, this next track on just because I was at a dinner party once and it came on and like everybody started singing along with it. Uh-oh, Dave's Nightmare. <laughs> I know, but it it's a weird song to put on, but I just have such a good memory of that. It's um, Give Me the Night by George Benson. <laughs> Everybody started singing this at a dinner yeah. party you were at. This is very impressive. Oh my god! Give me the night. <laughs> so, wait, was it a great dinner party, or is it just it was that a great dinner great? party? So, I think that's the song that needs to come on after at least a couple of bottles of wine have been consumed. Hey, does a great dinner party in your guys's minds necessarily go super late? How late does a great dinner party go? Well. Yeah, she got pretty late. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Dave agrees with that. No, uh, probably not. Really, yeah, I've never really been to that many dinner parties where it goes late. It's almost always been at restaurants for me. Mm-hmm. You know, or and again, like just because I've never been invited to potluck, maybe I haven't been invited to like <laughs> cool dinner parties that just hang out late <laughs> and groovy music is being played. <laughs> Dave's just like I don't even know idea what you guys are talking about. We've never even been to one of these things. Uh, all right, keep going. This next track, I guess it falls into that same cat, the cover category, but it popped on some, you know, random Spotify list and it's uh, A Day in the Life, the Beatles song, but the West Montgomery version. So West Montgomery is probably the most famous jazz guitarist. And it's this version where for like the first minute, you don't even know what song it is. And you're like, wait, I know this song. Wait, what is this? And then like, oh my God, it's a day in the life. And it's just so cool yeah. that I listen to it like five times in a row. And I think it's it's a great thing for a dinner party because people are, they'll, they'll have that same drop of the penny. Yeah, and then maybe go listen to West Montgomery, right? Because everybody knows the Beatles version. I think yep. that that's like actually the coolest part. Like the discovery part is 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 fun at, a, at one of these situations too. Totally. All right. How far? How, what are we? What are we at? Now? I, that was... I don't know how many. How many have we gone through? I got it. I have a ton here. So tell tell me when you cut off. <laughs> no, let's hear a couple more, and then I also want to hear if your intention is that these can all be played together. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, some of them are a little further out there. You know, I mean, you could go, you know, I think the craft work is out there. And I think Noy is another, you know, if you want to kind of go down that direction and maybe throw in some Gary Newman, if you want to go in that direction, which I think would be very cool. But I do kind of like that old jukebox kind of feel, you know, and I think you can never go wrong with some Stax records, you know, Otis mm-hmm. Redding, Sam and Dave, 
I mean, another, I, I won't count this in my list, but I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down by Sam and Dave, mm-hmm. which you probably know the Elvis Costello version, but they did the original version and it's a ballad and it's awesome. <laughs> so that's another cool one to check out. Um, Sam Cooke, of course, just kills it. Um, particularly his live album is great for that vibe. But the, I know for whatever reason, Charlie Rich is somebody else I've always loved you know, he's kind of a country singer in a way, though he came out of Sun Records in Memphis. And I love his song, Who Would the Next Fool Be? Mm. And he just had this like rich voice. He was a piano player and kind of a haunted figure himself. So, you know, I would, I'd vote for that. I mean, people know Charlie Rich more from his hits in the 70s, but his stuff in the 60s is the stuff that I think is just brilliant. Man, this is so good. Wow, uh, Morgan, you should have his own podcast on music. <laughs> like, I, I have why the hell are we doing this at the end? Like, <laughs> if I'm listening to this, I'm be like, why are we talking to these two knuckleheads? Let's just talk to Morgan. I just want more. Like, so, the, like, the thing that we're gonna do is like, we're gonna put Morgan. Like, you, you've just like got a perfect. I mean, I don't. I say this knowing that you already are very successful in your field. But if you ever want to turn away, radio DJ man. Just like to hear you, I hear you doing the intro to these songs and letting them go. And I think that's how we should do this playlist. All right, give us one more and then we'll give the rest of the audience. I'll give you one more. And this one, you know, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of older music here. And I was like, what would be something new and good? And this is something I never expected I would get into it, but I had this, my own experience with it, um, which is Mac Miller. Mm -hmm. And I met Mac because I was doing a documentary series with Rick Rubin called Shangri-La, which you can see on Showtime. and Which you should. Which you should. I, I loved making it. And I shot with Mac in the studio and I didn't know that much about him. I'd listened to a little bit of him and we had a great day recording. And then he died just a, about six weeks after we did that. Mm-hmm. And then I just started listening to more of his stuff. And then the couple of releases that came out after he died, I think were just going in the direction he was going in, which is even further from hip hop and more into, I don't know what you describe it, this kind of like jazzy pop soundscape, dreamy thing with some hip hop thrown in. It was really kind of, I mean, it it was so sad he died, but I'm also just so sad for everybody that we didn't get to hear what else he would have done. But anyway, the, the track I love that I think would be good for dinner party is Floating from his Circles album that came out posthumously. When I can finally get away When I can finally get away I think just the vibe and the feel of that is just really beautiful. I think Morgan should just host this podcast, this dinner music podcast. Like, I'm not even kidding, Morgan. Like, it's not like he's busy, but like, come on, Morgan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come on. We could, well, I just, I, I truly think that that's the case, actually. I know. Well, you get you guys asked me to throw together ten songs. I was like, oh, I don't have time. And next thing I know, I'd spent three hours digging <laughs> through tracks. <laughs> I can't help it. Morgan, we're a hundred percent going to force you to do this. But so we'll 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 send this playlist out, the full playlist in our newsletter, which you all should sign up for at majordomomedia.com/newsletter, and we'll make it into a Spotify playlist. And we're going to convince Morgan Neville to host uh, the Dinner Music podcast with us. I swear it's going <laughs> to we'll happen. We'll see. <laughs> um, all right. What else, Dave? What else do we need to talk about? That's it. 
I got to get out of this garage. I'm getting destroyed by mosquitoes. <laughs> Dave has been just like scratching and swatting for an hour, 10 minutes now. Insane. All right, we'll end it. Thanks, Morgan. Give us five stars on this podcast. Watch the Hulu show. Next thing you eat, sign up for our newsletter. Chris, where do they get their newsletter? MajorDomoMedia.com slash newsletter. And uh, also, Morgan, you want to tell them about your show on Apple? I know we're only supposed to promote our own stuff, but... Yes. Um, <laughs> show called Watch the Sound with Mark Ronson that uh, came out this summer. And for those of you that have Apple, uh, please check it out. It's a cool show featuring producer Mark Ronson about the kind of intersections of music and technology. So sampling, drum machine, synthesizers, and we talked to some of the coolest musicians in the world on that show. So it's check it out. It's awesome. It's so, so good. It's so yeah. good. Oh, man. All right, guys. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye now.